0: So today I want to talk to you about opioids and Tom Brady and doing your part. And I want to talk to you about your precious. Look at somebody and say, my precious. In a good creepy voice. (laughs) My precious. I want to talk to you about your precious, the thing that's precious to you. Are you willing to to sacrifice, but, so we'll start by talking about the opioids. All right, let's start with that before we get. Did you know that 5% of the world's population lives in the U.S.? Only 5%. That's not a very big percentage. There's a whole lot of other people in the world besides us here in America. So 5% of the world's population lives in the U.S., And the U.S. uses 80% of the world's opioids. 80%! So 5% of the population of the world uses 80% of opioids. And that that includes all kinds of painkillers, like oxycodone, oxycontin, uh, Vicodin, codeine, morphine, and it also includes heroin. But it's all painkillers. That's what they do. Is they kill pain so my question is, why are we in so much pain? Why does America try so hard to numb out? To not feel what is it that we're missing? We gotta be missing something. And and really, if you look at our lives, a lot of the world's got it a lot worse off than we do. I mean, most of us, have we have places to live and we have ways to get around and we have food to put in our belly and a way to feed our kids. Or I mean, we can figure stuff... Yeah, we struggle and sometimes we might have be hard to pay a bill, but hey, there are countries where they can't feed their kids tonight. So... We got it a lot better than a lot of people, so it begs the question, why do we not want to feel? Why are we in so much pain? Oh, I don't do that. I don't use any of them things you just listed. Oh, maybe you do it with weed or Jack Daniels or shopping or porn or whatever it is, but we numb out. We try to cover up or hide. We're not happy try to make ourselves happy. That's not the life God has for us, is walking around numb and not feeling and not not experiencing the life that Jesus had. So why are we not happy? I know we talked about before, but um, Tony Robbins has studied, made it his career to study humans and people that are really happy and go around and he's like this a life coach for presidents and pro athletes and all kinds of people. Um, And he'll tell you how to have success. And he's not even a Christian, but he's boiled it down to his formula is that every single happy person that he's talked to or done these studies on and stuff, they all have two things in common. They're all growing. In some area of your life, they're growing physically, mentally, spiritually. They're getting better in an area in their life, and they are contributing to something bigger than themselves. Every happy person that he's done the study on is doing those two things. They're growing, and they're contributing to something bigger than them. It's not just about them, their little selfish self. It's what he says, and that's not even, but you can back that up with Scripture. I don't know if he's a Christian or not why do we not want to feel we must have missed something but what i would say real connection you know you were created for relationship you were created for community and connection real connection and selfless sacrifice Well, what are you trying to say it's time to go all in Just try it one time to go all in. It's scary because you got nothing left. Well, let's read 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul wrote this letter to the the church at Corinth. Um, 9 verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly, Shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. If you're sowing a lot of seed, you're going to reap a lot. If you're holding on to it and you're stingy and you're not sowing much, you're not going to get much back. It's kind of common sense. It's reaping what you sow. So, my question for you is today, what's in your hand? you all have stuff in your hand. We talk about time, talents, and treasures. We all have money, and we all have time. We all have 24 hours a day. We all have talents and different giftings and things that that God's given us that we're good at. And so we all have something in our hand. Every one of us. We have stuff in our hand. But for some of us, it's food, and for some of us, it's seed. So When you look at your hand... What do you have? If you have an ear of corn in your hand, is it food or is it seed? Depends on what you do with it. If you eat it, it's food. If you plant it, it's seed. It's an ear of corn either way. What's in your hand? You you got 24 hours. I got 24 hours. I got 100 bucks. You got 100. Well, I don't have 100 bucks, but one time I had 100 bucks and you probably got 100 bucks. Like (laughs) It depends on what you do with it. Now, if you choose to eat it, what does that turn into? As Paul says, dung. Now a lot of us want to look at our lives and say, oh, my life's nothing but poop. Oh, it always happens to me, dung all around me. Well, maybe that's because you're eating everything you got instead of planting. Maybe that's because you're consuming instead of creating. And so, yeah, all you got around you is a bunch of fertilizer and manure because that's all you're doing is eating. You want some fruit? Remember the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness. I've missed a couple, I'm sure. You want all that flowing out of your life. As Christians, we all want that flowing out of our life. Well, you have to plant to get a harvest. You have to be creating. You have to be planting the seed to have something coming back. You can't just eat it all. So, what's in your hand? Is it seed? Is it food? What will you sow? What will you give? Are you generous? Your life's not bad. What are you choosing to do with it? Are you consuming or creating? Somebody asked me the other day if money was bad. If I thought money was a bad thing. I said, no. And they, were, they started talking about the Scripture where Jesus said it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to make it into heaven. And that's where their angle was like, do you think rich people can't go to heaven? I said, absolutely not. And then I said, well, what about... Uh, he, he said, uh, money is the root of all evil. The Bible says that. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It says the love big difference the love of money is the root of all evil i told him money's like a brick a brick what does that mean is a brick good or bad well if i take the brick and smack you in the head with it it's bad if i take the brick and bust out a convenience store window and rob them it's bad if i take the brick and build a children's hospital it's good If I take the brick and put it behind my truck because my emergency brake's broken so my truck doesn't roll across the parking lot and run over your child, it's good. I hate to get detailed, but hey. (laughs) It's the same as money. It depends on what you do with it. It could be good. It could be bad. It could destroy your life or it can be the thing that God uses. It just depends on what you do with it. We all have stuff in our hand. What will you do with it? We all have treasure. We all have seed. We all have money, time, talent. I wish I had as much time as he does, then I'd be helping out around the church. Well, I wish I had as much. What are you doing with what you have? As long as you're looking at somebody else and what they do and what they can give or what they should give or you wish you had what they had to give, you're never giving what you have to give. We were never called to compare ourselves to each other. What do you have? What can you do? I was reading this book and I was going to read you this little quote out of it. It's a small book. It's called Going All In. And... uh it's the story of a long time ago, uh, a century ago, they, there were these missionaries, and they called themselves one-way missionaries. Meaning they were willing to sell out and go all in and say, God, where are you calling me to go? And I'm going to give my life, and I'm going to buy a one-way ticket, and I'll never come back to the world that I know, the family that I know, the life that I know. Where do you want me to go and give my life? And then to seal the deal, these jokers went ahead and bought caskets. And instead of packing a suitcase, they packed all their earthly belongings in a casket. And that's what they hauled off all their stuff in. They were known as the one-way missionaries. And so I was reading the story of this one, and he felt like that God had called him to go to some tribe. I forget I forget where it was, but... Every other missionary that had tried to go in there had been killed by headhunters. Everyone, one. No missionary had ever come back out of there to talk about it or survive. They had all been killed. Um, and he felt like God told him to go there. So he packed his casket, told his family goodbye. Hey, this is my purpose. This is my call. I'm going to go all in. Don't care what it costs me. I'm going. And, and he, he packed it up and Oh, and part of them packing their casket was that was their way of saying, I'm dying to myself. We're called to take up our cross and die. They were going to, I'm dying to me and what I thought life was supposed to look like. I'm putting that in the casket and now I'm going to live the rest of my life for whatever God wants me to live. That was their, their thing. So pretty cool. Um, he went to this place and he lived there amongst the people for 35 years. They didn't kill him. He just went in and he loved them and he showed them God. And there were some hard times and some rough times and got pretty bad sometimes, but he lived there for 35 years and made a community out of the people and the whole the whole tribe. And when he died, they buried him right in the middle of their city. And they set up this big stone, like for his tombstone. And they carved in the tombstone, in their language, and his tombstone said this, When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness.
1: It's pretty powerful.
0: But he gave it all. He sacrificed everything. How powerful would you be if you gave everything for the purpose that God has on your life? When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? And that faithfulness is holding the fort. That playing it safe is safe. And that there's any greater privilege than sacrifice. And that radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It's storming the gates. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. A complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ isn't radical. It's normal. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. It's time to go all in and all out for the all in all. Pack your coffin. How do you save nothing for the next life? I want to spend it all. All that I am and all that I have. How do I how do I give it all?
1: You go all in.
0: You gotta be willing to sacrifice. Look at Colossians 2. Colossians 2 2. I'm gonna read it to you in the message Bible. what paul says go read this in another translation because there's there's good stuff i almost read it in the king james and niv words it really cool too paul's talking to the to the church and he's giving them keys it's where he talks about the mystery or the secret and he's giving them the key I want you woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God." He say, "I want you to know it all.". me just point out right there, to be woven, you know what it looks like when something's woven, that's what we're supposed to look like. Not like this. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ. Hmm. Not trying to cover it up. Perfect peace. Confident and at rest. I don't need drugs. Focused on Christ, God's great mystery. Christ, that's God's great mystery. There it is. God's got a secret. That word mystery, or some translations say secret, it's the same thing, secret or a mystery. But the cool thing is, and when we see throughout the Scripture, whenever it talks about, Paul likes to talk about God's secret or God's mystery, Like God tells us the secret, the mystery. The secret was Jesus. In Christ, that there's an anointing in Christ that's on the inside of each one of us. And the reason it's a mystery is because it's just so hard for our human brains to understand. But why? Why would he do that? Why would he die for us? Why would he give us this life? Why would he give us everything we need? Why would he give us a purpose? Why would he defeat our sin and death for us? It's God's great secret.
1: Has anybody ever told you a secret?
0: Has anybody told you a secret more than one time? <laughs> Secrets are kind of funny because when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I've got to tell you a secret, but don't tell anybody. Now, how are they going to hold you accountable to not tell anybody? Because they just told you something they shouldn't have told you. They, you, secrets are, the fun part of knowing a secret or a mystery is telling it or figuring it out, (laughs) being able to tell it to somebody. Somebody comes up and tells you a secret and you don't ever tell anybody, which you shouldn't, but that's not very fun. Fun part, telling it. God wants you to know the mystery. He's not hiding it from you. It wants you to know it. God's great mystery. All the riches, all the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. You've got the wisdom that you need, you've got the knowledge, you've got what you need. We talked about that a few minutes ago about Joshua. And we've been shown the mystery. I'm telling you this because I don't want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase after other so-called mysteries or the secret. Come back tonight. We're doing a seminar on secrets
1: of the Bible. Just kidding.
0: The secret. He said, I don't want anybody leading you on some goose chase telling you they've got some secret or here's the way. No, I'm making it plain for you. I'm a long way off, true. And you may never lay eyes on me, but believe me, I'm on your side, right beside you. And I am delighted to hear of the careful and orderly ways you conduct your affairs and impressed with the solid substance of your faith in Christ. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. All right, you ready? Here it is. Here's Paul's counsel for them. It's simple, it's straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live Him. So it's possible to receive Him and not live Him. To not live the life, yeah, you can go to heaven one day and not live the life that God has for you to live, not have life coming out of you, not walk in purpose, you yeah, all right, you can receive him, but not live him, how by not going all in, by not being willing to sacrifice, by not willing being willing to give to be generous. You're deeply rooted in Him. You're well-constructed upon Him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. Stop talking and start walking. Let your living spill over into thanksgiving. King James Version says, Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Abounding is to live, to dwell, or to stay. Continually in thanksgiving, an attitude of gratitude, a heart of gratitude, to be thankful all the time. That's what Paul's telling them. You know what to do. You're saved. The price is paid. Now walk, walk in it, and do it from a place of thanksgiving, from a place of gratitude. Always do it from that place. If if I give you some big, awesome present, it's kind of hard for you to be in a bad mood or, or to be mean to me, or what's your attitude? You're happy, you're excited, you're grateful, you're thankful, you're humbled, you're we think about what was done for us when we live from a place of constant gratitude. Why? the only way you can give and sacrifice and love like you're called to or like jesus is to live in gratitude otherwise you're going to get hurt you're going to get bitter why am i giving so much and she's not why am i up here by myself giving all my time you start getting bitter if you're not serving and giving from a place of gratitude, it's a different perspective. And I'm thankful that I have a place I can give. I'm thankful that I have a place that I can give my money. And I'm thankful that I have a place I can give my time. And I'm thankful that I... It's a different perspective. It's all about the heart. we got to give from that place, the place of gratitude. You know you are most like God when you give. You look the most like Him when you give. Look what John said. John was with him, walking around. Maybe the closest one to him, earthly relationship. John 1, verse 14 says this. This is a cool verse the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. He said, we saw him. He moved into the neighborhood. I ate meals with him and walked around with him and I saw him stub his toe and he was generous inside and out. That's what he looks like. This was Jesus' best friend, and that's how he was describing him. Yeah, I saw him. I know what God looks like. He's generous inside and out. And he's nothing but truth. That's who he is. That's what he looks like. I want to look like God. Are you generous? God's a giver. He sacrificed, he gave, he went all in, if you will, and gave Jesus just to be in relationship with you. He didn't have to. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave. It's the number one response of love, true love, is to Give.
1: So you were created
0: in his image. And it makes sense that you must give and sacrifice to live the big life that he's called you to. What is sin? Greed and selfishness. All sin can be traced back to greed and selfishness. Look at Proverbs 11:24. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. And those who help others are helped. I wish I had more influence. I wish I had more time. I wish I had more money. I wish somebody would help me. Hmm. Are you helping somebody else? My life just gets smaller and smaller. I can't I can't lose another relationship. I've about lost everybody. The world of the generous gets larger and larger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Maybe you've been focused on yourself. One day I'm gonna do a thousand push-ups. How many have you done today? It's great to declare a thing, but without investing, it's kind of pointless. It's just talk.
1: You gotta push. You gotta sacrifice. Look at Luke twelve thirty-three.
0: Be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt. A bank in heaven, far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers. A bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be
1: and end up being.
0: That's the scripture that um, King James Version says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. God's not after your money.
1: He's after your heart. But they're in the same place. (laughs) Do you know
0: what will leave a lasting impression on the world? On your world... Generosity. That's what gets remembered. Look through the Bible. I couldn't, there were so many examples that I could pull out of here. All these people, you know how most of them got in the Bible? Because they gave something. And they got to become part of God's story. The, The little boy that had the two fish and the five loaves, he gave it. So 5,000 people were fed. If he didn't give it, if he wasn't generous to give all that he had and sacrifice his lunch, he wouldn't have got to be part of the story. And the huge miracle, the big thing that God did on that day wouldn't have happened. We all know the story about Mary and the alabaster box of ointment that was a year's worth of wages. She sacrificed a whole year's salary. We all know about that. We all know what happened. And we preached that thing upside down, backwards, forward. It's the worship thing. It's the pouring and breaking. But if she wasn't willing to sacrifice, she wouldn't have been part of the story. She made it in three of the four Gospels. She's a big part of the story. Why? She sacrificed big. She got to be a big part of God's story because of generosity. Because she had a generous heart. I was thinking about Abraham. Remember when God said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your precious. Your son. The thing that you wanted. And what I hadn't really thought about before was... When God asked him that, he actually had two sons, and one of them he didn't like. (laughs) Turned out to be a little punk. They ended up kicking him out of the camp with his mama. Right, so, hey, if it was one of us, and God's calling me, all right, God, you're saying i got to sacrifice my son. Well, he's my firstborn. Ishmael, come here, man. We're going camping. Ooh, it's a sacrifice. See you, bud. Isaac, you stay with mama. That's what we do. We don't want to sacrifice that which is precious to us. But Abraham, in obedience to God, took his precious. He took the promise, the purpose, even though it didn't make sense. He took it up the hill. And then God said, no, because you were willing and obedient. Now I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make many nations. I'm going to do what I said I would do, and you can keep him. Well, you get to keep him. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. When when we give something to God, when we sacrifice something for God, our time, our talents, our treasures, when we help somebody, then he gives it back to us. It's the craziest thing. Remember when Jesus was going to ride into the town? I was going to turn to it, but I won't even turn there. You know the story. On Palm Sunday, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And it's almost time. It's been building up to this moment. And He's going to fulfill His purpose. He's going to walk out His call. And Jesus looks at a couple of His disciples. Speaking of people that sacrificed everything. They got to be a huge part of the story, but look what they gave up. So he looks at a couple of them, and he said, hey, I need two donkeys. There was a prophecy hundreds of years ago in Isaiah, and we're going to fulfill that prophecy today. I'm going to ride into town on the two donkeys. So I need you to go and find me two donkeys. They'll be tied to a post on time and bring them back. And the disciples are like, wait, hold on a second. What if somebody stops us? What if somebody asks us what we're doing? What are we supposed to say? We're going to look suspicious. They might lock us up. And Jesus said, you just tell them the Lord hath need of them. Go get them. Now, the cool thing is, they took the donkeys. And I think somebody, I think the owner of the donkeys probably asked them, because why else would Jesus have had to give them instructions of what to say when somebody asks you? But then after Jesus rode, it's roughly a two-mile ride. Dude got his donkeys back. And that's maybe the well, that's probably number two and three third most famous donkeys ever in the world. First one's probably the one Mary rode in to Jerusalem. Those are probably number they got written into the story. And because of somebody's generosity, Jesus rode into the town. Jesus came in on the backs of generosity and the obedience of the disciples. When I think about that that story, that's a really funny thing that Jesus said to them. What are we supposed to say when we get stopped? And Jesus said, tell them the Lord hath need of them. The Lord, the all-powerful God, the creator, and you're Jesus, you're all God, all man, you got all this power and you do all these miracles and stuff, but yet you need some donkeys? Makes no sense. Why don't you make a donkey? Actually, you made those. So why are you ask him for permission to get them? Why are you going like you made those? Make some more. Why don't you make a horse? A white stallion, that's what a king's supposed to ride in on. It makes no sense that Jesus, that fed 5,000 and he turns water into wine and he does all these miracles and he raised Lazarus from the dead and he had done all these things up to this point, but yet he needs a donkey. That's absurd. He came into the city on the back of a donkey. On the back of someone's generosity. And that's the same way that He enters cities today. On the backs of ordinary men's generosity. And the obedience of disciples to go get it. If you're a disciple, I need you to go untie some donkeys. We got big things to do. And that's how Jesus is going to ride into the city. Generosity writes you into the story of God. And so the opposite is true. Greed writes you out. You want to be forgotten, not make a difference in your world? Be greedy. You won't make a mark. You won't leave a legacy. And you'll be forgotten. Generosity writes you in and greed writes you out. You know, nothing really great is built with a spirit of obligation. When we give of our time, our talent, our treasures, when we give money to the church, when we when we give of ourselves... If we're doing it with the wrong spirit, with the wrong heart, a spirit of obligation, then nothing really great can be built with that. I mean, Titus, most of y'all probably don't know, Titus is a trumpet player. See him? He's shaking his head. No. He played trumpet in middle school. How many years? All three years? They don't even remember how many years. Three, that's why I thought. Y'all see how good, how invested he is in the trumpet, right? So he was in band in middle school. And he went to the classes and he did just enough to get a good enough grade and he learned just enough and he learned how to read the music and he was obligated to do certain things to get the grades, to do. It was not a passion. It is something that he didn't decide that he wants to take any further. He decided he'd rather do other things as soon as he hit high school. It was just an obligation. So unless something changes in his mind or his attitude, he'll never be a great trumpet player because it's not something that's in his heart to do. It's not something that he's passionate about. It was something he was obligated to do to get a grade. Just like I was obligated to buy him a trumpet. I know this ain't classifieds, but does anybody want to buy a trumpet? I'm just kidding. (laughs) While we're on the subject. (laughs) Just kidding. Not really. See me afterwards. Nothing really great is built with a spirit of obligation. God wants to build something great with your life. But if you're doing it with a spirit of obligation, well, I'm going to go give some money to the church this week because I have to. I'm obligated to. And Dusty asked me to help sell some of these raffle tickets for money for House of Cherith, and I guess I'm going to try to do something. Nothing really great is going to happen. The spirit of obligation. It's the wrong heart. It's the wrong spirit. By definition, the word generosity... It means to give more than what is required. To give more than what is required. To sacrifice, to go all in. Me and Jesse believe that generosity is our privilege. It's my privilege to be able to give to somebody. To give to something bigger than me. To give back to the church, to give to the house, to to get to contribute the largest number we can possibly think of how to come up with to give the house of cherith, something bigger than us that we don't get to control or we don't but we know that something good's coming out of it to just to be generous. It's our privilege. And my life keeps getting bigger and bigger bigger and bigger and my influence and my reach and my hope and my peace and my love and my kids bigger and bigger is your generosity an obligation or an opportunity when you give when you help somebody do you think of it as an obligation or an opportunity I get to give I get to help you know money just magnifies who you are. It aggravates me when I hear people say, well, one day when I can afford it, I'm going to give something to help out. No, you won't. mm Money just magnifies who you are. If, I, I mean, we just couldn't tell how stingy you were when you were broke. <laughs> when you get money, it becomes more obvious. You love going out to eat all the time and you're broke. We can't tell. But when you get a bunch of money, we can because you'll do it. You get what I'm saying? Money just magnifies who you are. It's not a bad thing, it depends on what you do with it. So I'm going to close with this thought. I had some other scriptures, but I think we're going to
1: get in long on time.
0: So you guys know I didn't cover it in the announcements because I wanted to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity, not an obligation. So if it's an obligation to you, well, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. We did something cool, and you guys know the reason I didn't hit it in an announcements is because um you guys know that we've got the tiny house that Levi has designed and is building, and several different uh guys from the some from the church have been helping out some and stuff, but it's going to be awesome. And When I said we would sell a thousand tickets to that thing for a hundred bucks a piece, that's called biting off more than you
1: can chew, right? Because I can't sell a thousand tickets to that myself. It's just too big, and that's the point.
0: You need other people. To help do something big. Now, if we pull this thing off and we sell that many tickets, it will be the biggest thing we've ever done as a church. Mine and Joe's purses for the fight will be huge that night, and the money that we'll be able to give to House of Cherith and see healing for survivors of sex trafficking will be awesome, huge impact. But to get written into that story, it'll take a lot of us. It'll take a bunch of us selling some raffle tickets or buying some raffle tickets. And I'm not talking about an equal gift. I'm talking about equal sacrifice. It's where, like, Titus, who doesn't get to work that much, and he works part-time and saves up. If he saves up and buys one $100 lottery ticket, that may be the same sacrifice as if one of you sold or bought 50 of them. So it's not about an amount. It's about equal sacrifice and how we can do our part. So this was just a cool thing that um, we got a puzzle of these wooden Blank wooden puzzle pieces. And Jesse has 100 puzzle pieces. And we figured, we sat there counting up, and there's really more than that if you count, like all the adults and some teenagers and stuff. But it's a 100-piece puzzle. And we're making this cool picture. And each one of these puzzle pieces, it equals 10 raffle tickets. Right? Right? So, when you sell or buy, however you want to do it, doesn't matter, when you sell or buy ten of those raffle tickets and you turn them into Jesse, your name gets written on your puzzle piece and it gets put in the puzzle. That I, hey. So, when you go take one of these wooden puzzle pieces from Jesse, she's going to give you ten tickets, or if you want to take five, she's going to give you 50 tickets, whatever, however many you want to do. Me and her have committed to do five of them. And then when you come and turn it back in, you get your name written into that puzzle. And when we look back at the greatest impact that we as a church have been able to give, to give away, not to benefit ourselves. We get enough in to run and get by and to do what we need to do, but this will be the greatest impact that we've had thus far in and it's just the start but I'm going to be part of this story and so I want to give you the opportunity you go take a piece a piece from her to carry it and remember and sell them and be part of the story and if you can't you don't think you can sell 10 or buy 10 go in with somebody go in with two or three people and get a get you a piece on that board and be a part it's an awesome thing that God's doing, but more than that, it's, it's being connected. And we talk a lot, I know we talk a lot about puzzles, but we're a body, and we all want to be perfect, perfect little squares and blocks, but the reality is we all have holes and gaps, and, but we fit together. When we're joined together and we all do our part, we make a beautiful collective picture. And I can fill in your gaps. And you can fill in my gaps. And I can be what you're not. And you can be what I'm not. There's unity. There's strength in numbers. So I'm giving you the opportunity today to be part of something great. Go see Jesse. And if a hundred of us took one one puzzle piece each, we're done.
1: That, there's a hundred people that go to church
0: here. I'm giving you a way that you can fight for humanity. A tangible way. And as we come together in unity... And do these things and fundraisers and we do kids camps and we we see the vision walked out on our property. We begin to live the big life that God's called us to live. We see healing in our own lives and our families. When humans unite, monumental things happen. Remember that story of the Tower of Babel? They had such unity that God looked at them and was like, man, they're building a tower to heaven, and they're going to actually do it. I'm going to have to make them speak different languages and mess them up. That's a crazy story. That God was looking at them saying, i got to mess them up. They're so unified. They're that powerful. I don't even know what that means. Like, how are they going to build a tower to heaven? Like." God had to make them speak different languages and mess it up. Unity is a powerful thing. Remember Jesus' prayer, Father, that they might be one, even as you and I are one. Why? Because unity creates power, momentum, and courage. Because if I know you're with me, I got the courage to step out. I got the courage to dream bigger. If I can look on each side and see I got people with me, it gives me confidence to take another step. Take a bigger step. You need people. I don't like people. Well, that is understandable because all of your pain and problems, I would say, came from people. So did mine. And even when people say that they're mad at God, I have found they're usually just mad at people. You're mad at a human that, was speaking in the name of God, or done something, it's usually you're mad at people. So yeah, your pain comes from people, but the opposite is also true. Your healing
1: will come through people.
0: The very last thing that I have to say is, since I didn't get to preach last week, and I really wanted to talk to you all about the Super Bowl. And I told you at the beginning we'd talk about Tom Brady a little bit. So, this one thing I've been simmering on was how they build that thing, and they kept saying that it's Tom Brady against Jared Goff. It wasn't... It was a lie. I watched the whole entire thing. Every time Tom Brady was on the field, Goff went and sat on the bench, and every time he was on the field, Brady went and sat on the bench. They weren't against each other ever. They were the two quarterbacks. It wasn't a cage fight or something. Tom Brady was against the Rams' defense. They built it like it was those two together and then of course, everybody praises all oh, the great Tom Brady. They go oh, wonderful Tom Brady, but and love him or hate him, you can't deny the fact that he's good. He's done some great things, but guess what? Best I can tell, I tried to do a little bit of research and thinking in my mind, and I he's never really done anything great outside of a patriot's helmet. I can figure out. In fact, if you go look at his scouting reports and anything that anybody says about him, is he's kind of slow, his arm's average, he's not that good at what he does. But taking his place on a team and putting on that uniform and allowing himself to be coached by one of the greatest coaches, he is a superstar that everybody talks about.
1: But alone, he's just an average dude. How many of you are superstars? Tom Brady selling insurance. Because you're not willing to connect to the team.
0: You're not willing to give. You're not willing to sacrifice to be connected, to be a part, to fit, to do your, what you're called to do, to stand in your place, to connect to the other puzzle pieces. You've got to get connected. It's time to go all in and get written into his story, history,
1: his story. Let's pray.
0: Hey, Dad. Thanks for giving us the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than us. Thank you that the more we give, the bigger our world gets, the more reach we get, the more influence we get the bigger our dreams and visions get. God, thank you for life. Thank you that it's exciting. God, I pray for a new passion. God, I pray for passion like never before. To rise up in the hearts and minds of your people. God, we're going all in. We're running for you. We're looking to something bigger. Fear won't stop us. We will find a way. God, we're desperate for you. We're committed to the cause. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thanks for picking us up every time we fall. In Jesus' name, amen.